This is Dom Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcasts that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, Episode 104. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. It's when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Bravehearty. Change, my dear. It seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Position that's wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the 10th Doctor, David Tennant episode, Shakespeare Code. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Great. So uh, let's jump into this. Uh, the this episode is first aired in April of two thousand seven. It's the uh, third season of the renewed Doctor Who, the the new Who as we call it, um, and it is the was it the third or oh second well second it episode. depends on second or third if you count the Runaway Bride as the first. Right, right, yeah. How right. the seasons right. count, but it's the second Martha Jones episode. Let's put it that way. Correct. Um, and I feel like I have this feeling I've seen this episode before, only with Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper going <laughs> going back not quite so far in time. Which one are you referring to specifically, Jimmy? Um, the the one with Charles Dickens. Oh, oh yes. right, 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 yes, right, right. yes, yes. The, and I'm actually, that, that's that's something uh, becomes a criticism by Martha Jones to the doctor in the next episode is that he keeps taking her to the same places or similar situations as he took Rose. Mm. Yeah. And that, and the whole Rose, the doctor's pining for Rose thing comes up. Uh, yeah. In this lot. episode too. A lot. Yes. Yeah. Um, one of our criticisms, but oh, the, if Rose was here. She'd know the right thing to say. <laughs> like the oh, most yeah. insensitive, thing. like even apart from the romantic things, you're, you're, you've brought this person with you and you're like treating them like, like, Dirt. And, like dirt. Yeah, it was really bad. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's talk a little about the background. So um, this was uh, William Shakespeare appearing on uh, Doctor Who, which apparently he was on in previously in 1965. Yes. Yeah, he was on <clears throat> in an episode called in the first episode of a serial called The Chase. Mm. And in that episode, the doctor had built. Um, kind of a time TV that would let you tune yes. into different moments in history. And so he and and Barbara and Ian and Vicky looked in on different moments in history. And we see for Barbara's, <clears throat> um, we see an older William Shakespeare talking to Queen Elizabeth I 
um, about his uh, parody of a British nobleman as Falstaff. Mm. And then um, Queen Elizabeth and uh, one of her courtiers suggest ideas for plays to William Shakespeare, uh, which are then the genesis of two actual famous plays, including Hamlet. Okay. Yes, the writers can't who do, do stories about William Shakespeare can't help but uh, have people suggest to William Shakespeare the things that he eventually uh, creates, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which they do in this episode uh, a lot. Um, yeah. yeah. By it, the way, the title of this episode, "The Shakespeare Code," is clearly yeah. an allusion to the Da Vinci Code, yeah. right? Which was still somewhat relevant in two thousand seven, although not as uh, it, was, it was. Even then, it was a little dated. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um. So this was one of the most expensive uh, episodes of Doctor Who they ever produced because of uh, the cost of the costumes and the sets, including the fact mm-hmm. that they filmed on location in London at the rebuilt Globe Theater um, yes. that's in London. In fact, um, we, my family, we have a bunch of DVDs of Shakespeare plays produced um, in, the, in the theater, which are great, by the way. The Shakespeare at the Globe, mm-hmm. great. If you, my kids love them. Um, and Stephen Coriolanus. Uh, well, no, that's not one of the ones we have. Uh, <laughs> Titus Andronicus. M- mostly the comedies. Let's just put it. Oh, okay. That way. Uh, yeah. So uh, the but so the uh, the so the the theater they had to film in the theater between performances. So as soon mm. as one, a performance one night was done, they had to break it all down, put up all of their sets and effects and all the the lighting and everything film all night and then be done in the morning. Uh, so it was a very, wow. was very costly, very, very uh, complex uh, production that they had to do. Um, so, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that they decided to use the, the globe theater. I mean, that, that, that they mm-hmm. incorporated it with Ed, you know, without having to rebuild it as a soundstage set. Yeah. And it, it, was, it does look like they did some with the soundstage, like some of the audience, scenes and everything like that yeah. are rebuilt soundstage, yes. which would make sense. I mean, it would be easier to do those kind of scenes where they could do them all in a separate location at a separate time. And apparently the, uh, the, the, the large uh, wide angle view where you see all the boxes filled with crowd and everything. Mm-hmm. And even the crowd at the foot of the stage, that was all CGI. They, uh, they, they pretty much like copy pasted and, and changed some of the people. Uh, but, right. the, but it was all, I mean, at any one time there's probably like 20 people, on the stage, uh, sure. but they did, but they used CGI to create this massive crowd to fill the theater. So it was very, that, ho- that holds up well. I didn't notice that. Yeah. I saw it in a, on online There's a behind the scenes, which was a very, mm-hmm. a very nice, but it must be on a DVD extra. So the, the basic story as, as a reward for helping the doctor in uh, Smith and Jones, he takes her on a trip. He gets she, one trip. That's one, just trip. one trip, which is famous mm-hmm. last words from the doctor. And, and in he, fact, he originally meant he tells us to like only bring her here and let her walk around a little bit and take her back. Yes. And he wasn't it wasn't an you're not it wasn't a you're going to get an adventure offer. But <laughs> right. once the adventure <laughs> starts, he decides not to uh, not to take her back so quickly. Right. Uh, and so they uh, it, they take her to 1599 in the lifetime of of William Shakespeare. Um, but we don't start with the doctor. We start with uh, before the credits is this scene with the witches, the three witches that remind mm-hmm. us of Macbeth. Um, 
who and a balcony scene that reminds us of Romeo and Juliet. Yes, yes, yes with a witch named Lilith, which has um. Jimmy, can you talk a little about the name Lilith in uh, oh. relation to Eden? <clears throat> you know, yeah, Adam so and Eve? so Lilith is a is mentioned in the Bible, um, and there's some debate among scholars about exactly what Lilith was. Some have suggested that it's a kind of animal. It's also been suggested it's like a demon that inhabits um, uh, inhabits deserted places. Uh, but then in Jewish folklore, Lilith became the first wife of Adam. And uh, according to this folklore, um, Adam had three wives. Uh, the first was Lilith, who was made out of the same kind of soil Adam was. And so she was fully equal to Adam in every way and didn't want to submit to him as a wife. And uh, so that one didn't work out, and she later, in some versions of the folklore, goes off and like becomes a consort of the devil. Then God made, according to some versions of the folklore, the first Eve, which was uh, who was made out of like this dark, heavy earth, and she was not as smart as Adam, and she wasn't. She was she was not smart enough, and so she was also unsuitable. And then uh, God made the th the third wife out of Adam's rib, when mm. so the third one was just right. <laughs> <laughs> not too um, smart, not too that's dumb. That's one of the base of the Goldilocks and three bears. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, in any event, so Lilith is a figure that's explored, uh, is mentioned in the Bible, but is really explored in Jewish folklore and is commonly regarded as a sinister feminine figure. Uh, and, who's and, up to no good? Unfortunately, then, today some feminists have really taken right. her on as an, an, as an ideologue. Icon. Well, in, in fact, in, in the in pop culture in the in the '90s and in the, in the 2000s, there was the, the the Lilith Fair, which was sort mm -hmm. of this feminist. You know, um, w you know, it's sort of the idea is you know, women got the got got the shaft. Uh, you know, they didn't get their due, and Lilith is representative of what women could have been throughout history and weren't. And, weren't. and the only reason I bring that up is because it seems. She's she's the only one of the witches who has like a real name. She's and she's very yeah. intentionally named here. And I I, mm -hmm. I, didn't, I felt like that maybe that was there's some kind of connection to that. Well, and when you, you look at where these these witches come from, I think it fits with that. Well, that this wasn't an explicit choice to name her that. Yeah, because the, witches, for the very reasons that Jimmy just mentioned. Yeah, they're very mm -hmm. uh, demon like, uh, shall we say. And from the dawn of time. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, so uh, they, this 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 poor young fellow serenading uh, Lilith ends up becoming lunch, and um, yeah. so yeah, know, remarkably bloodless lunch. I mean, come <laughs> on. Well, you're it's clearly showing us in silhouette that they're really tearing into this guy, and then none of them have any blood on their chin or anything. And oh, and then we get the line where Lilith, now in her witch form, tells us that uh, coming real soon. This fleeting earth shall perish. And it's like, okay, great. So now we've already got the stakes ramped up to entire earth. <laughs> right, right. At least it's not entire universe. Well, and and that yeah. why are you like why are you looking at the camera and telling us this? Who's standing there that you're talking to? Like, why yeah. is this the moment to say that? Yeah, that was a uh, very awkwardly done. Uh, I have to say. So the doctor and Martha show up, and Martha's got a lot of those you know first time traveler questions and uh, concerns, like the butterfly effect and. 
Um, Entirely reasonable questions to ask. Martha's doing yep. a good yep. job in that. Scene. Yeah, it's like, what if I kill my grandfather? And he's like, why would you want to kill your grandfather? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> some great moments. Why would you step on a butterfly? Don't you? Don't step on butterflies. What have butterflies ever done to you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and then they bring up the race issue, which is interesting because we we kind of got that again later on with Bill and uh, Capaldi's Doctor Twelve, uh, mm-hmm. where they went back in time to Regency London in their case, and the race issue comes up. So they, they it's sort of been dealt with a couple times now. And the well, doctor and cuts. That's, that's and that's reasonable. Um, yep. Those are also years apart. So anytime yep. you have a black companion and you go to a time when blacks were second class citizens in England, it's logical to raise that as a question. Yeah, but I, I actually kind of prefer the way they deal with it here than the way Moffat does later, um, mm-hmm. which which is it was kind of awkward. But this one, he just kind of says, "Hey, it wasn't as bad as you think. You know, they're, they're not everyone, yep. not every black person was a slave." Is essentially what he's saying, and. Just act like you own the place. It works for me. Yeah. <laughs> and that's true. It does work for him. Um, and and now and then when they, he realizes where they are and when they are, and they race off to go to the Globe Theater to see a play, and they see Love's Labor's Lost. And, uh, you know, and then there's a reference to Love's Labor's Won, another Shakespeare play that doesn't exist. And it turns out that there is an actual Lost play. Huh? Well, there's a controversy about is it really lost mm-hmm. or not? Right. Uh, well, it could be one of the other existing plays. Yeah. Um, and and so we do know that there was a play called Love's Labor's One, and it may have been a lost play that was a sequel to Love's Labor's Lost, although it was very uncommon to have sequels for comedies back then. Right. They didn't really do that. And um, so that's led to suggestions it may be another play for a long time there was a suggestion it might be the taming of the shrew mm-hmm. um but there's there's reason to doubt that and there have been suggestions it was various other shakespeare plays too right it was so the, we don't really know right it's um so love's lovers loss is dated to about 1594 to 95 and this is 1599 that we're in um and that uh one of the, so the love's lovers loss is a comedy about the king of navarre and three companions who swear off of women for three years of study and f- and fasting, but then they meet and fall for three women, and it ends on a cliffhanger, sort of. Um, which, yeah, they're they're about to get married, but then suddenly, for no apparent plot reason, their marriages are delayed by a year. Yes, uh, which is even Shakespeare had uh, plot problems. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, but interesting, three women. We had the three witches, uh, which were more a reference to. Macbeth, but still the the, the three yeah. women. Um, so and so uh, in the in the, this story, Love's Labor's one is 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 being used and manipulated by these three witches who turns out are actually uh, aliens uh, from the dawn of time. Um, Carrionites. Carrionites. Who, when I first heard that, I until I read the article online, I thought it was Carrion Knights. K n i g h t s. Which, no. which didn't make it any sense. It does kind of sound like that. Yeah. It does sound like that. So, but, mm. so it, it's an, an awkward name because it's hard to to, uh, to, to make that distinction. Um, but they so they use they use words to alter reality and manipulate. And since yeah. Shakespeare is the premier wordsmith in history, uh, yeah, they they use him to they're using him to alter reality to bring their people back from whatever place they were yeah. shoved to. Yeah. They tell us the Eternals, who is a race we meet in the fifth doctor story enlightenment, 
the Eternals have imprisoned the Carrionites in some dimension. And when Shakespeare lost his son, he was grieving enough that somehow his words allowed three of the Carrionites to escape. They arranged for the Globe Theater to be built in a special way so that if the right words are said from the stage at the right time by one mm-hmm. actor, um, it can be anybody, but it, this one guy gets to say the words, it will open up a portal and let all of their brethren or sisterin or whatever they are back into the world, at which point our Earth will end and they will take over everything. Right. The, the stakes are as high as they can be. Yeah, well, exactly. just the planet at this point. It's not the whole universe. Okay, well, the stakes are as high as they can be for us. I mean, really, after yeah. that, who cares about the rest of the universe? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So one of the things that, that kind of struck me is uh, the portrayal of Shakespeare here is they make him into uh, a cat. Handsome, handsome young guy. Well, yes, ha- ha- younger than I think he would have actually appears younger than he actually would have been at the time. Uh, well, and they allude to that. At one point, he's rubbing his head, and the doctor tells him, "Don't your hair will fall out." <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, but you know, the Shakespeare was a married family man, and he flirts mm-hmm. with uh, uh, Martha. Uh, Martha and intimates that he has relations with other women, and even and men, and yes, he, uh, hints at you know the interest in the doctor, which is annoying. That that drove that scene drove me nuts right like yeah. there was there was no reason why, why? what like what is the purpose of that well, because 57 57 professors or 57 experts just pu- pu- punch their hand in the air right you know, yeah. whatever how you put it right because yeah. there's some some fringe theory about shakespeare's sexuality uh, right yeah and also it's russell t davies so we have to go there yes uh that unfortunately um but Shakespeare was a married man and he had uh, his wife did not, you know, lived in the country while he was living in the city. That's true. But, you know, that doesn't mean that he was a cad. Um, so there's so there's that whole element. Uh, you, you know, we have him flirting with uh, Martha and then we have who, who immediately says, verily, forsooth, gads. And the doctor <laughs> yeah. just says, don't. No, 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 no don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. Again, yeah. something that, that, that those, you know, if we ever did that, we might be tempted to, we want to fit in. So we have to talk like people then did. Um, we have the, the, the doctor and Martha end up in the same bed and the doctor being clueless about Martha's interest in him. Uh, which is, you know, completely clueless. They're looking each other in the face, lying on their sides. And he says, I feel like there's something just staring me in the face and I can't see it. I have Rose to, yeah. would have known. I have to Ugh. say that the, some of the writing in this is just way too obvious. Like, like the yeah. it's it's it it's not there's no subtlety in, in, in much of this episode. Um, uh, apropos yeah. of that, all of the Shakespeare quotes that we get. Yes. Of, oh, you yeah. know, where the doctor or Martha will, but especially the doctor will say something in front of Shakespeare and he'll say, "Ooh, I might use that. And they try to not have that be too one note, because like at one point um, when the doctor says rage, rage against the dying of the light. OK, that's a Dylan Thomas quote. So yeah. the doctor tells Shakespeare, you can't have that one. <laughs> yeah, somebody um, already has that. Yeah, but <laughs> um, but there's too much of it. And, yeah. and 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 then later on, once they realize love loves labors one is part of the central plot of the Carrionites, it's like, oh, the play's the thing. It's like, oh man. 
Yeah. There's there's just too much of that. The writer is name is Gareth Roberts, and he apparently is is has quite a thing for Shakespeare. Like he just loves he revisits Shakespeare often in his various things that he's written. He he actually wrote a ninth Doctor comic strip, um, in which he he included Shakespeare. So, um, sometimes it's not a good idea well, to have a fan write. Well, something. It's, it's again, it's going back to this idea of Shakespeare really wasn't that intelligent. Yes, he was an intelligent wordsmith and he wrote all kinds of good stuff, but he didn't come up with everything himself. Everybody else gave him ideas of what he was supposed to write for. Right. Yeah. That, that's a bad temptation in especially in New Who. This this attempt, to, this 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 tendency to sort of go back in history to all the great human humanity of history of history, the great people of history. And undermine their greatness by making it really the doctor who was great. Yeah. While simultaneously worshiping them. And exactly. just build, right. building them up beyond reason. Like here we have, and this 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 aspect is okay. But they like so when Martha and and the doctor are first talking with Shakespeare, um, the doctor tries to use the psychic paper on him. And Shakespeare says, that's blank. And the doctor realizes it's because he's such a super genius. He can see through the psychic paper, which Martha can't. Martha thinks it says Sir Doctor and and Martha Jones. Um, But then we have the same fanboy treatment of -hmm. William Shakespeare that we had of of, um, Charles Dickens, where it's just building this guy up way too much. And that really comes out particularly. I mean, they mentioned throughout this how he's a genius. They keep using that word. He's this genius wordsmith. And so at the very end, when they're, when the doctor, when the, the, the Carrionites are being released, the doctor tells Shakespeare, okay, you are the one to undo this. The words have been spoken that have let the Carrionites out. You're the genius. You're the wordsmith. You're the only one who can then, find the right words. <laughs> and then half of them to, end up coming from it. the doctor anyways. And coming from the doctor and Martha. It's like if either the, Rowling, the guy. No. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the guy is, is if he's either a super genius wordsmith or he's not. Let him have the moment or don't do it this way. Yes. Right. Also, by the way, the words that get used uh, it so there's there are plot problems with the Carrionites whole plan here um because they need Shakespeare because he's a super genius wordsmith so he's the one to come up with the words to unlock all the other Carrionites but then when we actually hear the words as it's like these stellar coordinates right yeah. but there's no way Shakespeare came up with that they just fed it into his consciousness through this green mist so they didn't need Shakespeare to write the words. They, they, if they wanted to do it that way, the writer should have had it be, be much more organic and poetic, and mm-hmm. not just a list of star coordinates. Right. There was this, like she was in, in fact almost a marionette uh, a moment where Shakespeare is unconscious and she's moving his hand on the page. Like what? Like yeah. why? Like what was the point then? What? What? Why? Why do you need him? Yeah. Yeah. And and then why bother putting on the play? Because it's it's this they don't establish anything other than the final lines of the play as being necessary to open this gateway. Right. So why didn't you and your sisters just go onto that stage when no one was around and say the words 
and open it up like like it started to open up earlier in the day. Right. Like during the dress rehearsal or the rehearsal when the two the two actors were on the stage and one of the carrionites came through. And and that was another thing is like, we'll never talk to speak of this again. Like, why? <laughs> something. Yeah, something. Why, fit, why didn't you say something? <laughs> you saw this thing and you're going to. Oh, well, of course, we're never going to talk about this. Oh, yes. We'll never talk about this. What? What? Yeah, I know. It's just hand waving. Yeah. Uh, By the way, I I like the fact that so those two actors are the I mean, the characters of the of the actors were real guys in Shakespeare's company. Yes. Um, Mm. And I forget one of their names, but the other is Will Kempe. Yeah. And uh, he's the one that's the he has the lighter colored hair and he's the more comic figure. He's the one that gets Mm. the line. Um, forgive our irksome will. He's been on the beer and f- is feeling yeah. kind of ill. Yeah. Um, when Shakespeare right. collapses, and then he does this little bit of a dance as he backs up on the stage, and that's yeah. actually true to who Will Kempe was. He was known for doing comedic dances, and in fact, uh, he was a Morris dancer, and he did a stunt once. He called his Nine Days Wonder where he Morris danced from London to Norwich, which is more than a hundred <laughs> miles wow. over a period of nine days. And like crowds showed up to cheer him on. And uh, I was, I was on YouTube. I found uh, a guy, a Morris dancer in England today who reduplicated the nine days wonder only it took him a lot less than nine days. But, uh, <laughs> but for me, that was a real treat getting to see Will Kempe. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The other one is Richard Burbage or a dick. Mm-hmm. They call him in this. Uh, who also was a uh, an actor of Shakespeare's time. Um, you know, one one thing I will say though, you know, talking about the words, I like that concept of the words actually creating. Yes, mm-hmm. words know, of the power. words have the magic spell, the power yeah. of of words, and of course, it does play into the idea of you know how you know fiction and, and you're creating worlds and fiction, and then bringing that into the real world. I do think that was a good concept, and of course, as as Christians, you know, we hold the word as something very important. Right, you know, Jesus is much, the logos. Yeah, he is the logos. He is the word. And we hold, you know, the scriptures being his his words, the word of God is something, you know, something that's that's sacred. The right. ordinary human words are not magical. Right. No. Right. The word the word of God has power. There's exactly. there's interesting. There's something interesting in this in that the doctor says early on uh, when Martha asks if, if magic is really says, no, of course not. It just looks like magic. But then when he starts talking about the Carrionite technology and he says, OK, they they use words to accomplish effects the same way you use technology. And it's like, OK, that's magic. You just took away with the left hand what you'd given with the right. Um, you know, incidentally, this is something that's explored uh, and the Carrionites do appear in Big Finish some. I haven't listened to those, but. There is a, a exploration of a similar concept a couple of times in Big Finish that's awesome, where uh, we have a word-based technology. Um, the doctor meets a, um, a, 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 a a guy who's known as the Word Lord instead of a Time Lord. He comes from a dimension where everything operates based on words, and his name is Nobody No One. And... <laughs> And the thing is, nobody, no one gains power from words. And so whenever he shows up, it's vitally important that you don't say things like, nobody could fly the TARDIS by himself, because (laughs) then nobody can fly the TARDIS by himself. Or 
nobody could break into the TARDIS. Well, then nobody can break into the TARDIS. And it's, <laughs> and it's, That's a it's, cool idea. it's really cool. That's interesting. Well, in fact, uh, speaking of names, you know, one of the aspects of this is the, uh, the, the, the this magical trick you gain power over. Doctor gains power over the Carrionite by knowing her name, and they can they can use your name against you. Except they can't gain control of the Doctor because they don't know his name. I mean, one of the fundamental aspects of the Doctor is no mm-hmm. one knows his name, and so that's mm-hmm. that becomes an uh, an issue or uh, a central issue in this uh, story. So that I like that part of it. Um, then uh, I also like the fact that the Doctor uses Back to the Future to explain to Martha Jones how the world can end, even though she's still standing yeah. there. <laughs> that was Martin McFly. Yeah. <laughs> Martin McFly. <laughs> that, that was uh, that was a nice uh, little bit of pop culture reference. Uh, and then, uh, so at the end, once they've they've sent the Carrionites off to wherever they're going to go, um, back to their uh, their hell where they're living, we uh, we have show up in the Globe Theater. Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. Who, the first who calls the doctor her sworn enemy, even though he has no idea why she's she is his enemy. Uh, you know, that must be something from the future, which of course we find out in the 50th anniversary special. Yeah, and it doesn't pay off until all those years later with a new showrunner. Exactly. I know they kind of left it hanging, but uh, it's kind of funny that it's there. Um, couple other notes that I have is um they tell they tell Shakespeare that Martha is from Fredonia. And Fre- yeah, I love that. Fredonia <laughs> is a fictional color from a Marx Brothers film, Duck Soup. Yeah, yes. And yep. uh, the hail, hail Fredonia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shakespeare. Um, uh, so at one point, we, they mentioned the the Sycorax att- attacking on Christmas Day mm-hmm. uh, in the the do- the tenth Doctor's first Christmas episode, and uh, the Shakespeare eventually he says, "Oh, I love that word. I should use it." He does actually. The word Sycorax is actually in the play The Tempest. So right, uh, Sycorax is an unseen character. She's a witch who's the mother of the monster Caliban. Yep. Uh, so we can guess that uh, we're, we're, we have a, a a circular explanation because I'm guessing that the the Sycorax of Doctor Who were named for the uh, from that character, uh, and then. Um, he Shakespeare talks about how um, Martha has become a bit of his muse, and that he's going to write about her. And in the fact, the Dark Lady. In fact, that there many of the sonnets feature uh, the Dark Lady, um, mm. which scholars today, of course, see that as a metaphorical. Yeah. In this, we make our little. In, inc- incidentally, um, on the subject, because the the race issue came up at the beginning of the episode, and it comes up again when. Shakespeare's talking to Martha, he starts using all these poetic expressions of ways of referring to a black woman. Yeah. Like Princess of Afrique or things like that. I forget exactly (laughs) what they all were. Um, And Martha starts to take offense at it. And there's a moment where the doctor kind of, he rubs his face with his hand and says, political correctness gone crazy. And and I, I kind of agree in that, I mean, we can... We should, whether we can or not in a politically correct environment, we should be able to talk about human characteristics. I mean, we can talk about people's eye color. We can talk about their hair color. We can talk about their skin color. It's all just cosmetic anyway. And having, you know, poetic ways of referring to someone, I'm not going to take offense if someone calls me a flame haired whatever because I've got red hair. Um, And in the same way, Martha, I, I... shouldn't take offense at Shakespeare trying to pay her compliments 
with poetic ways of referring to her heritage. I mean, after all, according to the Andorians, we're a bunch of pink skins. Oh, wait, that's a different show. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So I think what it was is like the, the, the Shakespeare says, you know, who is your delicious blackamoor lady? And she takes offense. And he's like, oh, isn't that a word we use nowadays? Oh, is yeah. it Ethiop girl, a swarth, a queen of Afrique? And and the doctor you know, says oh, it's political correctness gone mad. And, and I think it's sort of ambiguous to me. But I think what he's yeah. saying is, is that the, these are all terms that are politically correct terms of Shakespeare's time. Yeah. Uh, yeah that, that, well, as that, I said, those are, those uh-huh. are the terms they would have used then. Right. And, you know, again, and this, and this is one of the criticisms of, of Dr. Who I know we've had before is they judge the past by modern standards. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a case where I think they get it right, where they, where yeah. the doctor's saying, don't judge, you know, what he's saying based on your modern standards. It was the politically correct way of speaking. Uh, right. In 1599. Yeah, he's he's not trying to insult you. Right. In other words. Right. Um, one thing in that same scene that is of their times is uh, they have this character come in. I forget his name, but um, he is a censor. Lindley. And he's yeah. Lindley. And he's he's demanding, OK, if you've just said you're going to perform love's, love's labors one tomorrow night, I need the script right now because I've got to read it. And this is something they actually had. Um, back in England at the time, because this was just after the Reformation, and mm. Elizabeth I was not a kindly ruler, and <laughs> sin- and there were concerns that the theater could be used to stir up revolution, mm. and um, and in fact, in various totalitarian societies theater has been used as a way of communicating secret political statements to the masses. Right. Um, you know, we know that happened in the Soviet world, for example. And uh, and they were very concerned at the time that the same thing was happening through the theaters in London. And in fact, there have been people who've looked at Shakespeare's plays, scholars today, and said, these actually have a lot of subversive pro-Catholic anti-establishment uh, mm-hmm. messages in them. And so it would have been Lindley's job to to keep anything too inflammatory from getting on the stage. So that's what he's there for. And then the witches, when they realize he's going to stop the play uh, from going off when they need it to, they kill him and they drown him on dry land. So he's like spurting, spurting water out of his mouth between camera takes. He's clearly refilled his mouth between the camera (laughs) takes. Um, But then when he finally dies, the doctor is like, I've never seen a death like this. This man is drowned. His lungs are full of water. And it's like, actually, doctor, you saw this exact death in the 1971, the story, The Mind of Evil, where where, uh, someone's lungs filled up with water on dry land and they died. Dry drowning. It's it's actually a thing is dry drowning. Um, Mm -hmm. Lindley was the master of revels, uh, was the title he had. Uh, Mm -hmm. So. Great. Uh, so um, anything else we want to say about this? Uh, Father Corey, do you have anything additional you want to say about Shakespeare Code? Nope. How about you, Jimmy? Uh, just briefly, I really, and I mentioned this earlier, I really hate the genius business in this. With mm-hmm. At one point, uh, Shakespeare is like, it, it, this is more mutual admiration of the doctor and Shakespeare. It's like all these years I've been the cleverest man around, but I can't hold a candle to the doctor. Oh yeah. It's a, oh, please. Yes. Um, exactly. I liked the single heart massage that Martha gives the doctor. It's like the witch 
tries to kill the doctor and assumes he has only one heart and so only stops one of them. Which <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was clever. Overall, though, I thought with all the Shakespeare lines, there was on the writing level, there was just way too much mugging for the mm -hmm. camera. Yeah. In this episode. Yeah. There was, yeah, exactly. Good. So, uh, I mean, so my my final, uh, uh, I, it was an OK episode. It wasn't terrible. Mm -hmm. uh, wasn't great. Um, you know, it, it was fun seeing the Globe Theater. I like I like that aspect of it. But um, it could have been better. Put it that way. So and that kind of is the Martha Jones season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. preview of things to come. So I guess that's it from us. Uh, what did you think of this tenth Doctor episode, the Shakespeare Code? Did you love it? Do, are we wrong? Let us know. Uh, or do you agree with us? Uh, let us know that too. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Find the link to today's show and uh, and leave us a comment there. Um, or send us an email to doctorwho at sqpn.com. And also, if you could, if you could like the, the show, like when you see it on posted on Facebook or retweet it on Twitter, um, share it with friends. You know, we, we're always trying to grow our audience, and reach uh, more folks who are fans of Doctor Who um, just to kind of you know spread the wealth. And we do this because we want to connect with folks and build a community around Doctor Who. And we rely on you to do that. Uh, we we're relying we you know we we don't have a budget to to do buy advertising advertise. for our yeah. podcast <laughs> we rely on the 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 good the good heart of our listeners to share our uh podcast with others so we would really appreciate if you do that also go to sqpn.com and check out some of our other shows that you might be interested in we have secrets of star trek we have uh, jimmy aiken's mysterious world which is we're having Ooh. a lot of fun with that uh check yeah. it out this, we've got some great episodes we've done and some more that are coming um, we've got uh, Let's Talk with Father Corey is hosting mm -hmm. that as well. So please go check out our other shows on sqpn.com. We would greatly appreciate that. So until next time, uh, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Oh, glad to be here as always. Thanks, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, foul carrionite specters cease your show between the points seven six one three nine oh. Right. This is gonna be fun. This is Don Bettinelli again. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcast you love. Thank you for your generosity. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give.